And I'm just going to read a, a Bible passage this morning before Luke comes to share with us. And we're in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 this morning, if you have a Bible with you and you want to turn there with me now. The passage is entitled, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath, duty in the temple, desecrate the Sabbath and are yet innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they may kill Jesus. Luke, I invite you to come and I'm going to pray for you. Excited to hear you preach this morning. Father God, we thank you for Luke, um, for his gifting, and Lord, we, we've missed him sharing with us. So I pray that you would anoint him now by your Holy Spirit. Would we have ears to hear and listen what you have to say to us? Speak now, Lord Jesus, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Zoe. Oh, good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Well done for making it to church today. This is my first preach in about 17 or 18 weeks. I think it's probably the longest time I've gone without preaching since I was about 18 years old. So I'm kind of hoping this morning it's a little bit like riding a bike and I'll get back on. We'll get back in the flow very quickly and we'll see what happens. If you are new, if you're visiting, I've been away on my sabbatical for the past three months. And over that time, I have tried to stay as disconnected from church as I possibly could. It's been a time of rest for me. It's been a time of refocus for me. But one of the difficulties in trying to stay disconnected from the church is by nature, I'm a little bit nosy. And with that in mind, every single Sunday, I get a notification on my phone which would say Hope Baptist Church is now live, and I haven't been able to resist having a little look at what has been going on. So over the course of these three months, I've actually probably watched all of the sermons that have been preached here at church. And I want to take a moment at the beginning of this message today, really just to publicly honour Zoe for the messages that 
she has brought during this time, these last three months. From afar, Zoe, I have been challenged, I've been encouraged, and I've been uplifted by the sermons that have been preached here at Hope. And what I've really appreciated about the three series that we've been looking at together as a church over this time, really, is the symmetry that we have seen in all three series. I loved how in the book of Ruth, this idea of everyday faithfulness came out and that we can write ourselves into the story of God. Isn't that just a brilliant concept? That the God of the whole universe, the God who needs nothing, the God who created everything with just a word, invites you and I to play our part in his story. But here's the thing. We have to write ourselves into that story. We have to be willing to accept his invitation and live that life of everyday faithfulness. What does that look like? It looks like the up, the in, and the out. It looks like coming to a God who is the ultimate host, who invites us to his banqueting table to feast on a relationship with him. It looks like being faithful in fellowship with one another, not forsaking meeting together, because as iron sharpens iron, we sharpen each other. It looks like loosening the cords of our tent, enlarging our place, that we might go out and offer hospitality to a world that so desperately needs Jesus. But here's the crux of the matter, church. If we're going to live everyday faithful lives, if we're going to enjoy deep fellowship with God, with one another, if we're going to have an impact on the world around us as God calls us to, we have to understand what we're talking about today and get it right. What are we talking about? Talking about the rhythm of Sabbath. I wonder what comes to mind for you when you think of Sabbath and when you think of rest. Often, if I want to rest, what it translates to for me is escapism. I want to switch off from the world. I want to put the TV on and not be disturbed. I want to do nothing or at least do something which is going to numb my brain for a little while so I can forget about the stresses that sometimes I carry. And one of the issues I think we have when we think about rest is that often we don't actually know what we really need. Let me give you an example. One of the great joys and privileges I had over my sabbatical time is I got to go to Scotland with Carl Smethurst and we did a a week's walk in Scotland. If you don't know Carl, Carl is one of the regional ministers of the Southwest Baptist Association. He's also a partner here at this church. And he too has recently been on sabbatical. And we walked the St. Cuthbert's Way together, which is a 100-kilometer walk over four and a bit days. We kept the costs down low by doing a mix of camping and staying in youth hostels. And on the first day, we left Plymouth. Carl picked me up from a house at about 3 a.m. in the morning because we had a flight from Bristol to Edinburgh. And one thing about me is I am an exceptionally light sleeper. And on the plane, as we were going to Edinburgh, I turned to Carl and I said, Carl, I've got a question that I need to ask you. Please be honest with me. Do you snore? And let me tell you, Carl's not here today, so I can get away with saying this. Carl gave me the most coy answer that you could ever possibly give. Carl turned to me and he said to me, well, Luke, sometimes I have to put an extra pillow under my head and that sorts out the problem. 
And I'm thinking to myself at this point, oh my goodness, what have I let myself in for? I'm going to be walking for four and a half days with this guy, and I'm not going to get a wink of sleep any particular night. I'm going to be carrying 20 kilograms on my back as we do it. This is going to be disastrous. Anyway, we get to our first stop. We put up our tents that night. We say goodnight to one another. I lay down in my tent. We're in separate tents. And as I'm trying to get to sleep, what do I hear? At this point, I'm thinking to myself, chill out, Luke. It sounds like it's not coming from Carl's direction. It's probably just a highland cow somewhere on the hills. You don't have to worry about this right now. We get to the second night. We've walked for a long way that day. We put up our tents. We say goodnight to each other. And what do I hear again? And at this point, I'm beginning to get a little bit worked up, and I'm thinking to myself, that ain't no cow. There is no way I'm going to sleep for the rest of this journey. For the rest of the journey, we stayed in hostels, and by the sheer providence of God, we booked rooms together, but there was a couple of nights where we ended up in separate rooms, and I actually got some sleep. But that all changed on the final night. You see, on the final night... After we finished our walk, we were triumphant. We stayed in our very final destination. We had a youth hostel booked. We had a private room together, and I had an ensuite bathroom with a long, thin bathroom, wet room, shower room attached to it. We said goodnight on that final night at around 10.30 p.m., and I attempted to get to sleep. I lay there for about half an hour. And then the noise started again. At this point, I'm getting really worked up. I'm thinking, I've walked all this way. I'm so tired. There is no way that I am going to sleep. There is no way at all I am going to be shattered tomorrow. Now, most of you will never get the privilege of meeting 11 o'clock Luke. And there is a good reason you will not get the privilege of meeting 11 o'clock Luke. 11 o'clock Luke is normally tucked up fast asleep in bed because 11 o'clock Luke usually makes very poor decisions and very poor choices. So as I'm laying in bed that night, I think to myself, I reckon that my mattress would fit in the shower. If I pick my mattress up, I can take it into the bathroom, I could lay it in the bathroom, and I won't need to worry because I'll have my own room. I haven't even thought about what if Carl needed the toilet in the middle of the night. That hadn't even crossed my mind. But So this is what I did. I picked my mattress up, I take it into the bathroom, and I put it in the shower. Hopefully a picture of this might come up on the screen in a minute. This is actually what happens. I get my mattress, I pick it up, and I put it in the shower, and it fitted perfectly in the shower that night. And let me tell you something, I thought I was a genius. I absolutely thought, I nailed it. I lay there that night and I was so proud of what I did. I thought, great, I've got my own room. Finally, this is going to be all right. There are a couple of things I had not taken into account that night. Number one, I hadn't taken into account that the light in the bathroom was on a motion sensor. So as I lay on this mattress that night, really, really still, the lights go off, the fan goes off, I moved my leg, and bam, I was plunged into what was like daylight, and the noise of the fan was deafening that night. Number two, 11 o'clock Luke had not taken into account that 9 o'clock Carl wanted to have a shower before he went to bed. 
And as a result of nine o'clock Carl having a shower before he went to bed, the floor of the shower was actually still wet. So as I lay on my mattress that night in this bathroom, this long, thin shower, trying to keep as still as I possibly could, the dirty water from Carl's nine o'clock shower soaked up into my mattress like a sponge. And it led to a very wet and a very uncomfortable experience indeed. My point is this. When we're tired, when we're weary, when we're feeling burnt out or dejected, we sometimes think we know what is going to help. If I just make it to my day off, if I just make it to the weekend, if I just get through this period, if I just stop doing some stuff, then I'll be okay. You know, those kind of fixes are often only temporary relief from the immediate stress that we're facing in life and the immediate tiredness. But then we go back to the rat run of life, to the normal pace that we live at, and we find ourselves in no better position. You see, church, we're talking about the Sabbath at the moment, and the title of the series is Out of Balance, but let me let you into a little secret this morning. It's not really about balance. When you think about balance, what does it do? It conjures up a picture, in my mind at least, of a tightrope walker teetering on the edge. And when we're trying to live a healthy life, we're constantly thinking we might fall off the tightrope. If I go too much this way or too much that way, my life will be a mess. And we find ourselves not in a good and healthy place. What Jesus teaches us about Sabbath today here in this passage is that Sabbath is actually about rhythm. Our text today shows the ridiculous lengths that Sabbath rules had got to. As Zoe explained a couple of weeks ago during the family service, the ordinance for this rest, this Sabbath rest, was founded in the creation story. God worked for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And the Jews, in their attempt to please God, they later decide that not working on the Sabbath, that's not really good enough. So they had a whole bunch of extra laws, and they create this whole bunch of extra regulations to make themselves, in their eyes, extra holy. They actually create 39 categories of things that you should not do on the Sabbath, and some of them are bonkers. You couldn't do chain stitching, you couldn't do weaving, you couldn't unravel anything, you couldn't select anything, you couldn't erase anything, you couldn't tie knots, you couldn't finish anything. You see, what started out as a way to celebrate what God had done and the provision for his people and a way that we can refocus our lives on him turned into an opportunity really to show how really good people were. You see, the problem is we simply don't know what is best for ourselves a lot of the time. And as a result, what we think will often do us good can become a burden that we end up bearing. You see, the fact of the matter was, it wasn't illegal for Jesus' disciples to pick some grain that day when they did and because they were hungry. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verses 24 and 25 these words, If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put them in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. 
You see, the reason the Pharisees, they got so upset that day when they saw the disciples eating grain is because what happened is the disciples picked the grain and they would have rubbed it in their hands in order to make it ready to eat. And in their mind, the act of rubbing the grain in their hands constituted harvesting. And one of the issues that these extra laws that have been created have made for everyone is that suddenly it become very difficult to determine what was actually to be considered work and what was just basic necessities for everyday living. For example, let's take some examples from our own life. For some people, you might find it incredibly difficult of a morning to get out of bed. It's a real effort to get out of bed. Does that constitute as work? For some people, you might drop something and you need to bend over and pick it up. Does that constitute as work? Jesus challenges the Pharisees along these very lines at the end of the passage that we've read together when he says this, what man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value there is a man to a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus knew the law concerning the Sabbath, but he also understood the practical needs of his disciples. They were hungry and they needed sustenance. So when they were hungry, Jesus didn't stop them from eating. He recognized that this was a basic action for their living and they needed sustenance in order to walk to the neighboring town. You see, he understood the practicalities were more important than religious ritual. And this morning, the first thing that I want us to really grasp is that Jesus understood the practical human needs of the disciples. And here's the best bit, church. He understands your practical needs too. So today, if you're tired, if you're weary, if you're feeling a little bit broken, a little bit discouraged, a little bit burnt out, the answer is not found in escapism. A day off, switching off, might help, but it's only temporary. The answer is found in the one who can meet you where you're at and deal with the root at its core. I don't want to step on Mark's toes for next week, but Jesus, in his foreknowledge, had anticipated the Pharisees' reaction to the disciples eating the grain that day. That's why we see the statement at the end of chapter 11, which says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, the rest that the world offers us is only temporary because it's in Jesus that our deepest needs are met. So if you find yourself today in need of rest, don't do an 11 o'clock Luke and think to yourself, if I do this, everything will be okay. But today, come to Jesus. So what does our passage today teach us practically about the Sabbath? It teaches us that Jesus understands our practical needs. But secondly, it teaches us that true Sabbath is about a rhythm orientated around him. Because Jesus requires love over ritual. Matthew 12 verses 3 to 8 says this. He answered, haven't you read what David did when his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God." And he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law 
that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus goes on to remind the Pharisees what David did in 1 Samuel 21, in which David had approached Elimelech, the priest, for help when he was fleeing from King Saul. If we were to look at a little bit more in depth at this today, what we would find out is that David asked for the showbread. The showbread was 12 cakes of bread arranged in rows on a table, and it was left to stand before God for a week. And it was replaced each week with new loaves on the Sabbath. The point that Jesus is making is that not only David requested that bread, but he requested that bread on the day of changeover, which was the Sabbath. And because David was alone, he would have had to carry those loaves back to his men, which would have been thought of as work on the Sabbath, and yet he didn't get into trouble. Why? Well, Jesus goes on to say in verse 7, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. You see, the Sabbath was intended to be a blessing and not a burden. It was given to reorientate our world on a relationship with the Creator. That's why Jesus tells us that he is Lord of the Sabbath. What does that mean? Well, another way of putting it is that Jesus is in charge of the Sabbath. And as a result, the Sabbath points to the rest that Jesus provides. Jesus became our rest when he did the work for salvation on Calvary. And as a result, you and I can know freedom because of him. That means we're not judged today on whether we keep the Sabbath or not. That's why we read in Colossians 2, 16, these words. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and of drink or in regards of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. To really experience the rest that Jesus offers means to reorientate our lives to the rhythm of the Lord of the Sabbath. True rest is not found in the absence of busyness, but it's found in seeking first the kingdom of God. Because the simple fact is, you and I were created for a relationship with the Creator, and when that is skewed, when that doesn't take its rightful place in our lives, everything else begins to feel disorientated. So during the month of August, when for many of us, in many respects, it often feels like a bit of a slower pace of life, my question, my challenge for each and every one of us today is simply this. Is your life focused on the Lord of the Sabbath right now? Is he your utmost priority? I'd love to give more time to Jesus, I hear you say, but my family needs me right now. It's important that I get my work-life balance in order. But here's the thing. When our lives beat to the rhythm of Jesus, everything else in our life becomes enhanced because Jesus teaches us how to treat our family. He teaches us, teaches us how to love the stranger more. He teaches us how to manage our finances and so much more. To live our life like he calls us to means putting him at front and center above everything else. To enjoy the rest that Jesus offers means making him Lord of all. I'll finish with another account 
from the Gospels. It's an account that you will know well if you know your Bible. It's an account of two sisters, a lady called Mary and a lady called Martha. One day, they invite Jesus round to their house for dinner. Martha is a great host. She leaves no stone unturned for Jesus. She wants to put on the absolute best when it comes to a meal. She wants to give Jesus the best experience as he comes round. So she works so, so hard to make this meal the best one possible. Jesus turns up, and Martha becomes indignant. Because what she sees is Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. Her sister's not pulling her weight. So she turns to Jesus and she says, Jesus, don't you care that I'm doing all this work? I'm putting all this effort in right now. I'm trying to make this the best experience for you, Jesus, and yet my sister is doing nothing. Jesus lovingly and gently rebukes Martha in that moment. And he says these words, Martha, Martha, you are worried and you are upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Today, just like Martha, I believe that the Lord of the Sabbath is calling many names here in this room and maybe online too. And today, King Jesus may be saying to you, you are worried and you are upset about many things, but you don't need to be. Come, sit, listen. Allow my words to flow over you. Come and rest a while, but not with the temporary rest that the world gives. Oh no, come and experience the peace which surpasses all understanding and in doing so become whole again. In a moment, Gemma and the band are going to lead us in a song. And I want to invite anyone this morning who feels in the place brokenness, of discouragement, of tiredness, of whatever it is in your life this morning, to reflect and come and sit at the feet of Jesus. And as we sing and as we stand in a minute, I'm going to invite you to come to the front. Maybe find the space on the floor. If you can't sit on the floor, feel free to sit on a chair this morning. And close your eyes. No one's going to come and pray with you at the front this morning, but just simply close your eyes. And this morning, in this moment, imagine that it's you sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's just you and him. What does he say to you today? What words does he speak over your life today? What encouragement does he give you today? We're not going to rush this. So I want to encourage you in a moment to come forward and find a space if you are in need of that rest that only Jesus can offer. And allow this to be a holy moment here in this place where you meet with the risen King again 
There'll be some members of our prayer team at the back of the room as well. And if you want prayer for anything, they'll be happy to pray with you. But let's take a moment this morning to sit together at the feet of Jesus. Why don't we stand? right now, will you just come and meet with your people? May this be a holy moment. May this be a moment of healing and of restoration and encouragement and excitement bubbling in people's hearts again for the risen King Jesus. Lord, may we all reorientate our lives on you, the King of Kings, Jesus' name we pray.